I wasn't supposed to get paid, but this lady on an electric wheelchair scooter thing came up to me after I sang. She said, honey, I don't know a single word of what you just said, but it sounded great. She handed me two dollars. <laughs> This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. Today, I have Emily Antonacci. And Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So we're going to be listening today to your song, Melt, off of the EP, Living Room EP. Yeah. Do you do living, do you say it all together as Living Room EP? I say the the Living Room EP. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So I would, I would just should have said, uh, today we're going to be listening to Melt off of Living Room EP. The, or you could say, or you could be like Emily's debut EP, Living Room, if that, if you want to do that. Okay. Up to you. Live your dreams. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to be listening to Melt off of Emily's debut EP, Living Room. EP. Yeah. yeah. i just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so without further ado, let's listen to the song. forever Somehow I carried you into May I thought we'd swim through June And come July I'd see you again You and I lived and died But you left a coffee stain on my nightstand You never touched my sheets But all day you wished you were in them Ooh, ooh, did I make you melt? Ooh, ooh, not calling you out But then you move on quickly Ooh, ooh, was I just a crutch? Was it me or the fantasy you daydream about so much? Sleep. You wish your hands were all over me. 
Listen, music is delicious, and I miss saying good morning, good night. You were right. If it wasn't for the distance on my train back home, I wouldn't have cried. Ooh, ooh, did I make you melt? Ooh, ooh, not calling you out, but baby, move on quickly. Ooh, ooh, was I just a crutch? Was it me or the fantasy you daydream about? So, ooh, ooh, did I make you melt? Ooh, ooh, not calling you out, but baby, move on quickly. Ooh, ooh, was I just a crutch? Was it me? Welcome back. Emily, my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the words or was it the music? Ooh, I suppose the music, but they were very closely, like, their births were r- neck and neck. Okay. <laughs> they were right next to yeah. each other. My usual writing process is I will um, write out like a block of text, a stream of consciousness, the things I'm feeling, and then find a chord progression that I like and then start writing the actual like lyrics. So okay. they're, they're twins, I guess. The first part of the music was that the, I, I like to call this like the, uh, the anticipation motif. I, I don't mm-hmm. know why, because it just, the, the way that it goes is it, it has, you know, the, the few chords on the ukulele going uh-huh. up and then it just pauses. And which makes me always think of like getting excited and then just like, you know, mm-hmm. so d- was that the first part that you started playing on or were the, like, you, you did it on the ukulele is what I'm asking yeah. to. And that came from that. How did that come about? So I always write my songs on ukulele. I think I'm yet to write a song like without it. Just started messing around with the chords and strumming just didn't sound right. And I knew that like, I don't know, usually I'm not great with arrangements. I use, or I leave that part to Cammy most of the time because Cammy Proctor of the Blank Stairs, um, they do my arrangements for me. Usually I'm like, oh, that'll come later and it'll be great and sound very full and delicious as it always does. This song is usually going to be played with more things around it. And so I was like, it's going to have a really basic ukulele part. How did you come up with the... Well, it might have just happened, but when you overlaid the lyrics, the melody, there's that syncopation between what's happening with the ukulele and your voice. How did that come about? I wish I had, like, words to describe it other than, like, it just did. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It just, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm so cliche, but I'm just like, it just kind of flowed, you know? Like, it just came out of me, it happened. (laughs) But that's kind of, like, what usually does happen. I wish I could describe it but I usually cannot. <laughs> I'm just curious, when you ended up getting this down and recorded, I believe you had been playing it live mm-hmm. or in front of other people for some time. So there's a few things that I was curious if they came about because of playing this live. You've got claps going on. You've got 
uh, like the crowd singing at the end, and then you also have the crowd yells, she was a barista. And I'm wondering if that was like, was that something that happened in the course of performing that live, or did, did that just happen? Orga- I mean, I guess organically is the right word, uh-huh. but uh, did that just happen as, as you performed it and learned those things, or was it something that you always had? So I think the claps and the crowd singing, that was a Cami Proctor thing. That was something they added later, which I don't know. I love. It's very like Dodie-esque in my mind. The uh, British ukulele singer Dodie. She's lovely. One of my biggest inspirations. They always remind me of like Dodie songs. And so I was excited to hear that addition in the demo version. But the She Was a Barista has a bit of a tale behind it. (laughs) The song is about my love story with a barista. I was at my favorite music festival, uh, Wander Down Music Festival. It is put on by the Way Down Wanderers. They're a Peoria-based band and they're lovely. They have a bunch of little workshops and open mics throughout the weekend. And Cammie and I were at one of them and I was playing the song. It was relatively fresh. I think it was in the first few months of me like having the song out and like playing it out. It was just me and the ukulele, so it's like, dun, dun, dun. and uh, there was a lot of kind of quiet space in between, and so I was like, okay, uh, I just made a lot of coffee and tea references, like, I feel like they might need, just a, if they haven't gotten it yet, like, they need an explanation, so right. <laughs> found my new cup of tea, and it steeps where cold coffee used to be, and then I just said, she was a barista, and then that evolved into, in the, like, studio arrangement, like, the crowd yelling, um, since we had the crowd later on as well. I, I believe that when I saw you play at NOLA's, mm-hmm. which used to be Blackbird, pretty much everybody in the crowd uh, was already <laughs> familiar with that and and did shout, uh, she was a barista. So, uh-huh. I, th- that's part of where I was thinking that that might have just come from. Uh-huh. Let's dive into the lyrics. This song... And I, this is the part where I always kind of feel like I put myself out on the edge here because, uh-huh. you know, this is me interpreting it based upon my worldview and, and those kind of things. I almost feel like, although it implies that you may have been with this person, to me, it feels more like that this is just fantasy, that you're getting this impression of kind of that missed opportunity and mm-hmm. like having that interaction. And then, well, what would that have been like? But then this was all about that sometimes the the fantasy is so much better than the than reality. Mm-hmm. So um, that sometimes why not just exist in fantasy for a while? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what when I listen to it, that's what I imagine. I'm just kind of curious, like what precipitated these words. I'll give you the the Spark Notes version of it. I went on a spring break trip to an undisclosed location, and I met a gorgeous barista. And at first I was like, they're at work, like, I'm not about to get her number or her, like, details. She's on on the job, but one of my friends was like, no, you should do it. Go for it. So I did. And then we were just talking nonstop. The next day I was leaving. Classic, classic tale. And so I, like, saw her before I left. It was very romantic. We, um, you know, walked around with, like, my friend group of high schoolers. <laughs> I was also in high school. It was an interesting situation. But then I left the undisclosed location. We were constantly speaking. It was so much attention. I was loving it. I was freshly 18 and thriving. <laughs> but then reality set in, and I was like, okay, this person lives very far away, and I am not a person who likes to deal in maybes. 
especially when it comes to like relationships. I'm big on like just clear communication. People can only get hurt if you're just dancing around boundaries and goals. It got to a point where I was like, is this going to happen? And she was like, we just live so far away from each other. I was mourning that relationship. I don't know. I was the most confident I had ever felt when writing this song. Like this was fun and flirty, but I'm making the choice to cut it off because it's no longer like good for me or what I want. And so, you know, the little you wish your hands were all over me or you never touched my sheets, but all day you wished you were in them. You know, just a little a little spicy like gotcha. Let's go back to the the recording of this EP and, uh-huh. and more specifically this song. There's some really cool things and there's this sense of like a duet between like the ukulele and the guitar. There's kind of this call and response in some parts. And I felt like the guitar and the ukulele were like representing their own kind of relationship in a way too. Was that an arrangement that you did for the, the guitar and the ukulele or was that like brought in during the recording process so the process for this project was i wrote the songs over the course of a few years these were just like the things i felt most confident in up to that point and then sent the vocals and the ukulele to cammy and then cammy made the arrangements other than the vocals and the uke like lyrics and chords that was on me and then cammy took it and just ran with it their ability to transform emotion into sound is like nothing I've ever heard before. I mean, I'm a little biased, but like, it's just, it's incredible. And so I guess the ukulele guitar duet kind of thing, it's a nice nod to like our friendship and how like Cammy's in my live band. It's interesting because for all the songs on the EP, like Cammy saw the situations that inspired those things. And so I don't know. It's kind of like I'm the ukulele and KB's the guitar and we're just kind of chatting about like what went down. I I guess I was kind of thinking about it as you were the ukulele and that other person was the guitar. Like there's parts where you complement each other Mm -hmm. and you're playing at the same time, but other parts where you're having your own voice separate from the other. And I thought that that kind of met that kind of the overall metaphor or allegory Uh of whichever one's the correct one both it it matched that that idea of like this could have worked mm-hmm. or but ooh, you're still two separate people yeah and then you made the decision that that just wasn't going to work that's the feeling i got with between those two but of course the bass was tight i have right? to say so i know that was cammy but oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what is so fun like I I hadn't heard that interpretation before, like that you just brought to the table. And I guess I never really thought too hard into it. But yeah, when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, yes, that's just a lot of the arrangements um, or like parts of the arrangement ideas came from playing live. And that's that's probably going to be a thing for all of my future projects, too. I usually end up playing my songs live quite a bit before recording them. And so Mm. it's nice to see that evolution happen. Maybe this is a total side tangent, but mm-hmm. so you sent the the ukulele and the vocals to Cammy mm-hmm. in in that process in the actual recording process. Did you struggle to get the same energy from the live performance that you do to mm-hmm. to get that into a recording that you could then know that was going to be? Because I feel like if you did that live and recorded it, there would be 
it would be easier. I'm not saying it doesn't have that energy. I'm saying mm-hmm. it would be easier to have that energy because one, you've got a whole band behind you, yeah. and it's like, I don't know. You you don't you don't feel alone. But I, I maybe maybe you're so used to performing by yourself that that doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. even come into question. But I was just curious how that process worked with you recording these by yourself, mm-hmm. just you and the ukulele. Was was that kind of a um. I don't know. I feel like kind of a bit of the reverse has been happening where we'll be recording things in the studio and I'm like, okay, this is so cool. I love it. And then part of my mind is like, how are we going to reproduce this in a live setting? Because when we're live, like the most people we've had so far is me on ukulele and vocals, Cammy on guitar or bass and backup vocals, and then Abby Haste, the drummer of the Blank Stairs on drums. And so, oh yes, and Cammy will also play melodica um from time to time it's been interesting because there's so much energy in both both the studio and in the live performances because my producer connor billard he is one of the most interesting humans i've ever come across and so a lot of the like synth parts on the recorded stuff are like his work like a uh, collaboration between cammy and connor to get those to happen whatever energy it is some type of good funky energy is going to be happening in the studio and that will like translate into the recording i feel like emily live and emily on your favorite streaming service they have like different different accents different flavors but it's the same bass i always like to point out my favorite part i gotta say that i I mean actually there's a few that i really really like and and it's the lyrical parts and i mean i i feel like we should have talked a little bit more about the the lyrics but the first verse felt very pandemic to me for some reason oh yeah (laughs) um just like april felt like forever and somehow i carried you into may and like you know that's my you know my mental state over the last year thinking Uh about how you know time what what does that even mean Uh but then it, it felt like it turns and now, all of a sudden, it's a different kind of story again. Yeah. The funny thing is that it it wasn't written during the pandemic. It was about the, the year prior. So, I would, if I had stayed in college, I'd be a sophomore in college. But I wrote that the summer before my freshman year of college. So, summer 2019. Surprisingly, not the, <laughs> not the pandemic spring into summer into year-long extravaganza. You lived and died, a honeybee, now I'm thriving, found my new cup of tea of sleeps, where cold coffee used to be. I feel like that picks up that energy, but I maybe it's because you get the sense that there's like a crowd there as well. It's hard. There's there's a lot of really cool parts, especially when that, that bass drops in the first, like for the first chorus, like when it just hits you. And then there's that chorus outro where the bass is just doing like a, like this building kind of driving sense uh-huh. and then it drops back into the the bass from the original chorus it revitalizes itself so i don't know i'm kind of a fan of the bass on this so amazing um, i'm so glad yeah so do you do you have a favorite part in this Ooh. song um i think the uh she was a barista is always fun live it's a fun reminder of like i don't know when friends are there and like friends know the song um or sometimes like people who I've never met very rarely, but like it happens. Well, people who I have never met will be yelling. She was a barista. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I feel like Hannah Montana. I love that part live, especially at the time that I wrote it, it was the strongest song lyrically I had ever written up to that point. 
I think I've been getting better and better. But at the time, I was like, wow, this is the best I've done so far. I was going to say there's something very catchy about, I mean, just Thank the way you. that the it's it's wonderfully melodic and... There's, there's because of that anticipation. I c- keep calling it the anticipation line, uh-huh. a motif. It's like um, you already have this really cool play between what you're doing with the ukulele and then your voice jumping in and out in between the the pauses, so to speak. There's something about that that is very earwormy, and I and I mean that in like the greatest sense, not the oh gosh that it won't leave uh-huh. my head. <laughs> It was interesting because I believe I heard that the first time on one of the espresso uh, open mics oh, yeah. um, that uh, Annika Emily puts on with uh, Jake. No, I just remember thinking that that was that was so I don't know so catchy and and, and when you when you were like melt I want to do melt I was like okay good that's you know. <laughs> why did you pick this as your favorite song I think of my music that's on streaming platforms. Um, I wanted to uh, give you one that, like, we could share in its, like, final form. Mm. It's so fun. Like, I definitely, I was, I was pretty sad when I wrote it. Like, I was sad mourning that relationship. Looking back on it, I'm like, wow. Like, she was having a hard time. (laughs) But, but, like, I don't know. As an 18-year-old, was able to Mm. recognize what I needed and what was good for me and what wasn't and act accordingly, which I looking back and like very proud of myself for doing and so yeah that's why i chose that one it, it just fascinates me is that, that i i don't hear this as like a sad song by uh-huh. any means but i can understand having been through that situation that mm-hmm. you would interpret it that way so do you still see it as a sad song or you just see you look back on the person that you were i think it's point? like looking back at the person i was because in the in the bridge it's like if it wasn't for the distance on that train back home, I wouldn't have cried because I was I was not even coming home from seeing the barista. I was just coming. I was on a train and thinking about the state of that relationship. And I was just like, it's it's dying like it lived. It, we, you and I lived and died. Right. It's like this relationship. It's basically over. We just need to, like, call it quits looking back like i was sad at the time but it's such it's such a fun song like certainly not exactly a sad song but i think uh bastille the band does this a lot the like happy sounding sad songs absolutely love it and not exactly one it has hints of it but i feel like more it's like a i'm the shit anthem like Mm. you really you really wish (laughs) yeah if that makes sense Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246.
Welcome back. So, Emily, what is your favorite Champaign-Urbana venue? I've had limited in-person experience with the Champagne music scene. Okay. I um so I did my freshman year at U of I. Um mostly. It was I was a freshman during 2019 to 2020 where things just fell apart mm-hmm. at the end. When we were in person, I was like I went to a few house shows. Those were pretty fun. I went and I saw it was Mermaid Heaven, Beach Bunny, and Japanese Breakfast at the Canopy Club. It was a dream. It was so fun. Yeah. So awesome. And then I don't think I went to any other like ticketed concerts while I was in my short time living in Champaign. But I have played at Nola's Rock mm-hmm. Bar. Uh, played there. Oh gosh. Time's so hard. I, I can never remember because I'll be like, oh, like the other day. And then my mom will be like, actually, I think that was like three or four months ago. Right. <laughs> oh, gosh. I played at Nola's. <laughs> Bottom line, I did that. And it was wonderful. Was was Nola's the only place that you've played in town? Um, or Oh, I played this festival. I was like part of the student talent competition at this festival. Um, it was in, I think, September of 2019 was a find your grind university okay. um they you know it it was interesting they gave us critiques which like love constructive criticism can always get better they gave them to us as a group like in front of the group you got your mm. critiques and i was horrified i haven't my like gigging career i've done maybe five gigs uh before like i don't know summer 2020 like gig gigs other than like i don't know playing in my high school or like uh i don't know jamming with friends i wasn't super experienced as a performing musician Mm. then i played this festival and they gave us critiques in front of everybody and i was horrified Mm -hmm. the people i met were super kind the guy who ended up winning the competition was this kid uh azazel he's incredible Uh, he's a beatboxer like a national champion in india i'm obsessed with him he's so cool they were like girly like you don't have much stage presence it was just me and my ukulele and i was like messy had just came out like i was really nervous it was my first time playing in champagne like had just gotten to college so i was just like I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because the other people were like, it was a full band, a few rappers, and then Azazel, who's like a beatboxer. So everybody else was pretty like hype. And then I was like the indie ukulele girl and I was Mm. petrified. And I don't love when music's like a competition because, you know, so subjective. But overall, it's a fun story to tell. I was horrified in the moment. But looking back, I'm just like, that just wasn't my venue. (laughs) Was that here at the U of yeah, I? Yeah, it was okay. on the, uh, oh, I f- Grange Grove, question mark? The little, the lawn by the stadium. Trippy that, Red was the headliner. It was such a lineup. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't your first performance in front of people. So no, not ever. Like, what was, talk about, talk about your first time playing in front of people. Oh, wow. I took voice lessons as, like, a child, like, six, seven years old until I was about 12, and so I do like recitals with that. Um, my first time 
I think there were like things in my like elementary school that I sang for, but the first time I remember singing not in my elementary school was at Six Flags St. Louis. <laughs> I can't remember. My mom has this photo on Facebook. It's uh, my partner's lock screen on his phone. <laughs> I'm singing. Yes. I'm having a wonderful time singing every day from High School Musical 2. It was my first paid gig. I wasn't supposed to get paid, but this lady on an electric wheelchair scooter thing came up to me after I sang. She said, honey, I don't know a single word what you just said, but it sounded great. She handed me $2. <laughs> and I was like... Oh my gosh, I am a gigging musician now. <laughs> and so, oh gosh, I must have been, I think it was seven or eight. I, I think I literally gave it to my sister. I was like, so, I was so young. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Do you want this? <laughs> and so, I can't believe that. So, so you were six, you said? Oh, Ooh, that's between, some sibilance. between six and eight. I can't remember. Somewhere in that range. Mm. Yeah, where do I go from there? Um, <laughs> you were asking about the champagne music scene, and no, then we've just but, gone everywhere. No, else. but that's that's great though because it it gives it gives kind of a context to you know where you began and uh -huh. and like Six Flags St. Louis, Six Flags St. Louis. But but the thing is, is that that you know a lot of the people that I, I feel are tend to be comfortable on stage are ones that started out like pretty early and also maybe not perfectly um untraumatically is uh -huh. that is that a good word like there's there they learned early on whoever it was they learned earlier on that they survived this you know this horrible or or I don't know if you could say horrible but I mean they survived this you know performing in front of people and it wasn't mm -hmm. the end of the world and I feel like those that Either you really, really work to get there or you just had that experience and you just build up from there. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what my point was there, but it it's just something that I've noticed is like when people talk about themselves, you know, performing, you know, earlier on and having these very like kind of cringeworthy oh, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> oh yeah. I definitely I definitely did the whole like cringeworthy thing. I I'm not saying that all high school speech is cringy. I'm just saying my performance was bad. <laughs> I was on the <laughs> high school speech team. I was in humorous interpretation, and I only did it because one of my friends was doing it. Every Saturday for like three months of the year for two years would wake up, get on a freezing cold bus, drive to oh. wherever they wanted to take us, and then do something that I essentially didn't really want to do. <laughs> For the whole day. <laughs> uh. And so I had plenty of experience and I wasn't good as well. It was different when you like knew that you were good and you're going up there doing your piece and then sitting down and everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're so good. But I was bad. And so <laughs> I would go up there feeling so anxious, force myself to do something I didn't really want to do and then sit in my silly little chair and then wait out the silly little day. And so I feel like that helped me get my sillies out like get the like anxiety out because now i know <laughs> no performance is gonna make me feel as bad as that anymore okay because now yeah. i'm like playing music and i really enjoy playing music and i just acting was not for me yeah so the the acting part of being someone that may not necessarily be 
genuine was yeah. not your thing. But oh, to yeah. be genuine on stage w- as a musician yeah. was your thing. It's, so I yeah. feel, yeah. I always liked the idea of being in like the plays at school, but I was always on crew because I was like, I want to sing my songs. If I'm on a stage, I want to sing my songs and mm. I want to like be myself because I feel so strange. I feel like, I don't know, for some reason I felt embarrassed trying to be somebody else because I knew that I wasn't being genuine. I certainly prefer being a musician playing my original music over Mm. being someone else in front of a lot of people. I don't know why this is popping into my head, but lately I've had this weird, not obsession, but like I've just noticed it because of the the pandemic and, uh, you know, uh, binging certain shows is there's, there's so many... Let's just say sci-fi shows. I'll give Star Trek as an example uh-huh. of it. It's not the main actors. It, it's always the the background actors that I started noticing that like they're so self-aware that they're trying to act oh, yeah. that you could just see it on their face and it like it, it like literally I start feeling embarrassed for yeah, them because that was I'm just me. Like, yeah, don't. <laughs> I was the background characters in Star Trek. Nice. <laughs> In front of my in front of my peers, yes. I'm going to take a, a like a brief tact on here, and and let's talk a little bit about uh, recently. I, I saw on the socials that you mentioned that you're going to be doing some songwriting and uh, ukulele lessons, not lessons and consulting, consulting with the Underground School of Sound. Yeah. So how did that come about? I went to an open mic at the Red Barn in Peoria that Sarah Marie Dillard of Sarah in the Underground was hosting. And I met her. She was so lovely. And she was like, you, I like you. (laughs) And and she's a fantastic champion of live music in Peoria. She's wonderful. We just kept like running into each other over the next few years. And then she booked me to play Ignite Peoria, which is a yearly event at the Civic Center. It's wonderful. But then... We just kind of started getting closer, overseeing each other. And then I was like, hey, I would love to take lessons from you because she is also a music educator. She teaches voice and ear training and music business and songwriting. So I started taking lessons from her, I think around this time last year. And it was great. I blame Sarah Marie Dillard and Cami Proctor uh, for my decision to drop out of college because <laughs> they were both like, you are always saying that music is what makes you happiest. And the thing that you are spending a lot of money to learn to do, you don't actually care about that much. What, let's, do we want to unpack that? And I was like, no, <laughs> that's okay. I'll just, I'll just ignore it or ignore it. I will figure that out after I have my degree. I just need my degree. Mm. Eh, wrong. I did not. Um, but anyway, I decided to not go back to school and then kept on taking lessons with Sarah And then recently I was like, I would love to be doing music full time. I had like a day job as a barista and I was like, I'm not super happy. What could I be doing? So we were trying to think of things I could be doing. And she's like, join the teaching collective, like start teaching with me. So I will be doing that music business slash more on like the publishing and marketing side. I feel strange calling it lessons, but it's more like kind of consulting work and then ukulele and songwriting lessons through that teaching collective. We talked earlier off off air, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, that you're doing it virtual as well as yeah. in person. So anybody, um, anywhere. I will try to put it in the notes if anyone's interested to go ahead and Wonderful. reach out. The thing that I've 
been ruminating a lot about ever you know through the pandemic and and looking forward to you know live shows coming back and what does that mean you know besides just the live shows what does it mean to have a good music community mm-hmm. i guess the the question that i ruminate on and i also like to ask my guests is like to you what makes a good music community and then also what does champagne urbana peoria mm-hmm. what do they do well and and maybe even what could they do better i'll start answering the second question and work off of that does that work yeah perfect okay perfect so i started really getting into the champagne music scene from my bedroom in peoria illinois doing the virtual open mics i hadn't met a single person who i now consider like one of my close friends from that group of people until around this time last year sarah marie dillard she sent me a text she's like hey i found this like virtual open mic event like i know you said you wanted to start playing out more but like you can't really like this is a good opportunity and so i was like okay like i saw beach bunny there and i i meant to go when i was on campus but i was always too nervous i didn't have anybody like that I knew would want to go with me to the open mics. And so I always chickened out because I didn't want to go alone. I would feel, I don't know, I get too nervous in new situations to just like go alone sometimes, especially when it's like big groups. So I went to my first virtual open mic and everyone was so kind. Everybody was so supportive, like in the chat, like while you're playing your song in the Zoom chat, it's just like so much love and support because it was already such like a close group of people because they'd been like seeing each other every Monday and then they weren't allowed to do that anymore for good reason but they couldn't do that anymore in person one my first thing of like a really good music community is like people who are just kind to each other and willing to bring other people in and just be kind to them because I feel like before I started getting into any live music scene I was kind of nervous I was like I don't know like what if everybody already knows each other What if they are afraid that I'm going to take up their space? Like, what if I'm taking up too much space, which is a thing that I still battle with now, the idea of, like, what if I'm taking up too much space in a music scene? But that's something I will work on in therapy. Yeah, open and welcoming and kind in any community. But I think especially in a music scene, like, for me, my lyrics are often lines from my diary. Like, it is some of the most like vulnerable stuff that I could be saying and I share it on a stage oftentimes to strangers having people who are just gonna be like even if it's not music that they'd put on their playlist like while you're playing being kind and respectful like listening I don't know just giving their attention for the time being like that's always that's always an awesome thing to have other great well yeah I was just thinking about how Champagne Urbana and and maybe uh, maybe they're not that unique in in this whole process of doing things virtually, but I think it's just phenomenal that somehow you can still manage to have that sense of sense of attention. Yeah, maybe even like that people are like you are worthy of my attention. Mm-hmm. You know, you are putting something artistic out into the universe, and I'm here to listen to that. Mm-hmm. And even that that was be able to be transmitted through the virtual realm, mm-hmm. um, it, like D&D. I don't know. When I said that, I just thought <laughs> D&D. That was the, the virtual realm. Um, it's one of those things that I just found really fascinating through, mm-hmm. you know, this process. You know, there were people that were 
doing their own thing, but it, it felt like that community still somehow managed to exist, which was mm-hmm. like how it just kind of it boggles your mind a little bit. Like, yeah. how is that possible? That's just something that I, I find incredibly remarkable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I I hope I didn't uh, take you off your. Oh no, I yeah. love I love this. Okay. Champagne is really an incredible music seat. I've loved it so much, and I I don't know. I was kind of. I was like, oh, I went to school there, but I don't anymore. And like, I live in Peoria, but still like, I don't know. I'm here like every other week. (laughs) I found myself traveling here like to visit friends or play shows or like do podcast episodes like this. Like I'm just, I'm always here because they were still so welcoming, even though like I didn't originally feel like I was fully like part of it. They were Mm. like, no, you're definitely part of it. And so that's been awesome. But I think another important like, pillar of a good music scene is like women and femmes being a big part of it mm-hmm. which i feel like peoria and champagne do really well yeah i've been told of other uh small cities that aren't as welcoming and so that makes me kind of nervous but it's such a common trope of like i guess sound guys scare me quite a bit often <laughs> So, you know, the like the cis white man who's like middle aged and like kind of knows guitar, but they like know a lot about sound and they're like, do you know what a chord is, sweetie? I'm like, yes, yes, I do, sir. So I guess like that's very intimidating. And sadly, like I have been condescended to. Is that a phrase? It, uh, I know exactly what yes. you mean, though. I've been yeah. talked down to by, yeah. like, that trope of sound guy, like, a few times in the past. And I'm like, if I didn't know that not all sound guys are like that or sound people, like, yeah. I, I would be long gone. I, like, I would probably just give up on performing because, like, it feels so demeaning to, like, be nervous already, sharing something that you're vulnerable about and like have some person you've never met be like treating you like you're garbage right yeah and so i think having women and femmes be a big part of a music scene kind of helps tone that down a bit i don't think anywhere is perfect yet like i don't know i'll see people from other places talking about it all the time i think we might just be stuck with that trope of sound guy for the rest of this lifetime but i don't know it's important to me that like women are respected everywhere the bare minimum you know it's it's very nice and affirming to see that in a music scene well and i I also think about you know when that is is so pervasive that it also discourages other people from even wanting to get into sound themselves because there's already like a certain kind of gatekeeping about that too. And then, I mean, I I guess think, I I guess I think of back to, you know, the girls rock scene where they were looking for people to be doing recordings Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And they wanted it to be, you know, uh, women and non-binary people that Mm -hmm. could come in and do it. But there's, there's so few there's so little encouragement for for people to get into it that aren't already in that that i don't know i i feel like that's if there was a way to i mean girls rock is a good example but um if there were more ways to encourage that Mm -hmm. to be available 
even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic. The Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. Emily, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Oh, wow. Oh, should I not have thrown in that things? Um, No, that's all right. I think, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm a big fan of photography. Before I considered myself like a career musician, I thought that like music photography would be, I don't know, one of the ways I would make a living. And I think it still might be. I borrowed a camera from my high school audiovisual department and uh, took photos when Cammie's band, The Blank Stairs, opened up for Lovely the Band in Peoria. Mm. That was an awesome night. And then I guess this is like music adjacent. Does it count? Does music photography oh, no, count? That's, I mean, it's it, even if it, photography of any form. Okay, it's cool. Just fun. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really just so we can get a, just a little bit different perspective okay. of, of who you are and cool. what you do. Cool. Cool. So. Music photography, love it. I also, I've done a family shoot before. That was pretty cool. It was like my friend's Christmas present to her mom was just like a bunch of photos of the kids. So hmm. that was fun. And I've done some pet photography here and there. Just Cammie's puppy, Billy, take photos of her because she's just the cutest little thing. Other non-music things. During the pandemic, I got really into embroidery. I guess I did it at Jesus Camp. I did the uh, little workshop they had. <laughs> I uh, made like a daisy and I was like, wow, I'm an artist. And then I didn't do it again for like years. And then I just started like embroidering on shirts. Like I just had these plain shirts in my closet. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything else. Mm. And so, yeah, but just like listen to podcasts, embroider shirts. And so that's been fun. I started like doing it for other people. Part of my trade with the accidentals for them being on uh, two of the songs on the EP was like, they would do the tracks in exchange for sh embroidered shirts. And like next time they're on tour, like I'll probably take photos for them if like they want me to here and there. But um, I am playing a show with them in August and I really need to finish those shirts because <laughs> the EP has been out for a few months now. And I, I feel like my, my idea for one of them is a bit too ambitious. I don't want to spoil it, but I think I need to go with something simpler. So I might be restarting one of mm. them. <laughs> so embroidery. Yeah. yeah. So uh, is that, that's not the same as cross stitch, right? That's, it's a different no, type. Okay. It's the same, you know, needle and colored thread making a picture, but I guess the methods are different. Like cross stitch is like, you're literally making like little X's into a picture. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But embroidery, you just kind of, it's, 
I think of it like sketching or drawing with thread. Huh. Yeah. And then how how did you kind of fall back into that? I mean, it sounds like there was quite a, a <laughs> you were a lapsed embroiderer. I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I mean, like what, what brought you back into that? Or were you just like, um, oh, needle, thread? <laughs> I think, well, I had my, my Jesus Camp embroidered daisy up on like, I have like twine with like clothes pins, like holding things up in my room. And so I think that was one of the things up there. I was like, oh, I, I was kind of good at that. Like, I could do that again. And I was just like, I had already reorganized my whole room, like April 2020. I don't know. I was like, I don't have the patience for like bread making. Like, I don't want to make something and let it sit. Like, I want it. I want things now. And so I was like, I could just embroider this now. I could just make a little picture on this shirt. And like, I don't know, it takes a while, but I'm not doing anything else. And I'm like, I can see the progress. But with, I feel like bread, you have to just like, let it live its life for a bit and i'm just like i yeah i don't i i can't i need to (laughs) i gotta do something and it's also nice because my brain it's hard for me to just sit and like watch something like a movie or a tv show like i've finished maybe like three tv shows in my whole life just because i can't keep that whole universe in my head for like 10 Mm. seasons like that's that's a lot for me and so listening to podcasts or like watching movies that i'm already like familiar with while doing my little embroidery like that was a nice way to pass the time when we were all literally just trying to pass time until we could come out and do things like this again yeah yeah and well i'm super glad that uh you're you were able to like make this work Uh so um yeah so Emily, thank you for being on the show, chatting with me about your song Melt and recording the Living Room EP, your experiences with the Champaign-Urbana music scene and what makes a good music scene, and telling me a little bit about the Underground School of Sound and like your favorite non-musical thing, photography and, and embroidery and how you got into that. So thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so much fun. to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Emily Antonacci reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good.